world we live in becomes increasingly defined by accelerated change and transformation, more and more people are rising up with ideas, projects and businesses that are fostering greater clarity, balance and consciousness. My name is Christian Byrne and welcome to Agents of Calm. series of interviews and discussions that aim to capture the stories, ideas and wisdom of these vital change makers and spread a little bit of calm along the way. Welcome to episode four, where I had the enviable opportunity to speak with empathy expert and author Mimi Nicklin. Together, Mimi and I get deep into the subject of self-empathy with a gentle skew towards its value to new and early-stage business owners. Over the next 45 minutes, we get clear on exactly what self-empathy is, how you can start practicing self-empathy, the benefits behind self-empathy, and both the data and science to back them up, and much, much more. It's a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy. So, hello Mimi, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Um, I'm sorry, it's, it's taken us ages to get this get together, hasn't it? It has, but you're so welcome. I'm, I'm so excited to, to be here and to be having this conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, clearly you're one of the busiest people on the planet right now, um, but it would be good just to give us a chat, how you're doing, how the journey's going, you know, what, what's currently hot for you at the moment, what's next, just sort of give us an idea of where you're at. Yeah, for sure. And I'm definitely not the busiest person on the planet, but um, it is a very exciting time. So my first book, Softening the Edge, comes out in about six weeks now, which is a crazy experience because suddenly after all that time of writing and editing and pondering, uh, it's going to be in stores. So I'm busy doing that. I'm also um, just about to launch season two of Empathy for Breakfast, which is my breakfast show all about empathy. Uh, so mm. that's very exciting. Um, and yeah, rolling out the podcast. So trying to get sort of two to three episodes of that out a month and really drive the conversation around empathy up all around the world. So definitely not the busiest person, but certainly doing lots of great stuff. Probably up there, probably up there. <laughs> So yeah, didn't I didn't I read that your uh, empathy for breakfast has hit around sixty five thousand listeners now, it's like all big. over the world? Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's yeah, phenomenal. That was season one, and um, I started that as COVID started. You know, I started that in lockdown. Mm. It was I thought I would do it around about this time, actually, of August twenty twenty, but brought it forward. And I think now is a time when people are really open to this conversation about empathy and what yeah. we're doing in the world. So. Yeah, thanks. It was I was overwhelmed actually. Excellent. It's a great format. It's a great format. So, um, just to re just to restate the purpose of of this um, of this chat. Usually, I like to keep agents of calm conversations quite open, but given that I've got essentially like a, an expert on the subject I want to talk about today, there's a bit of structure around it. So, I'm obviously really interested in the role of self empathy as a tool for people who are. Um, either thinking about transitioning or in the early stages of transitioning into their own business, particularly as it relates to repairing and building self-esteem, but also the proactive resilience that they're going to need to be successful on that journey. So I thought today we'd delve a little bit deeper into that with yourself, if that's okay. And perhaps for people listening, some guidance and advice 
on you know how and why they should be prioritizing self-empathy self-empathy not just perhaps as a business owner but as a human being as well i think it, it's a wider conversation so Perhaps as a kickoff, then through your through the lens of, of of somebody that has researched and written and and at your level of expertise in this, what is self empathy to you by definition? And if it is different to what we understand traditional empathy, how is it different? Mm. It's not really. I mean, empathy is is empathy. So empathy mm. at its core is about taking perspective. It's about understanding. Mm. Uh, it's about seeing the world generally when you talk about empathy through the eyes of another or the shoes of another. Right. So it's about taking on the perspective of another. When we talk about self-empathy, we're fundamentally doing that to ourselves. So it's about understanding yourself. It's about um, looking at the perspective that you have and how you feel about that um, and doing that without judgment, which is the key bit of all empathy, which I talk about all the time, right, which is um, judgmentless understanding. It's about taking on board sort of how you're feeling um, and, and how you see the world and understanding that. And I, I tend to break it into three parts when it comes to self-empathy. The first one is around um, curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, curiosity drives understanding, whether that's about yourself or about others. Uh, but being curious, why do I feel this way? Why am I nervous about this? Why am I excited about this? Whatever the emotion is, however you're feeling, mm -hmm. being curious about sort of uh, digging into that a little bit more is probably the first part of, mm -hmm. of self-empathy. Uh, the second part is around kindness, right? Is around gentleness yourself um, yeah. and not being overly or harshly critical or self-critical um especially if you're starting a new business or a new venture we can we can do that you know to the nth degree constantly criticizing what we're doing and should have done that and all those things so yeah. self empathy is about kindness to oneself or, or just as i said avoiding that overly harsh criticism mm -hmm. um, and the third piece is slightly sort of bigger contextually which is around framing imperfection as a shared human reality mm -hmm. um, very rarely do we make mistakes entirely alone you know mm. very rarely if there's a mistake or a failure or or something we'd rather hadn't happened or we'd done slightly differently very rare that a we did it entirely alone or b we're the only person that's ever done it right mm. so um that is something that we share as humans and so that's the third part which is that framing of those feelings or imperfections or whatever they are yeah. as experience and not just our own experience yeah, I think you're right. I think particularly that last point about our relationship with failure, I think that's one of the top five self-esteem issues is that we, we, we learn very young that mistakes and failures are bad and we'll get punished for them. Um, and that's something that sort of gets ingrained in us from a young age. And if we don't purposefully shift that belief and shift our relationship with failure, it's very difficult um, to sort of grow in the way we need to grow. But going back to the first one about, about curiosity, um, for somebody that is completely new to this um, yeah. and the whole idea of self, am I right in saying that self-empathy and self-compassion are, are, are the same thing? Could you put them into the same box? Look, you, yeah, yes, you can. Um, there's a lot of questions around, um, again, slightly bigger before we go back to the self, around the difference between empathy and sympathy or compassion. Yeah. Um, they're on a spectrum. So there are lots of areas of, of similarity. Compassion, which is part of sympathy, um, is about pity. So there's nothing wrong with that emotion at all. Like it's a good emotion. Or sympathy to someone, though, those are good emotions. Um, but they are, when it comes to the, the self, from my point of view, it does begin to have judgment in it. It's, it's about pity, right? So 
generally when you're compassionate it's because you feel a little bit sad for someone or sorry for someone and for me that's not something we really need to hero in ourselves as often as we probably do naturally whereas self-empathy is is a little bit closer to well a lot closer to perspective more judgmentless it's about understanding oneself understanding our reality and how we're feeling um, and using that as a aid as a motivator uh, rather than perhaps moving into something which feels a little bit more like I'm feeling sorry for myself uh, which can easily happen so as I said they're on a spectrum but but yeah slightly different right so so sorry I jumped into a different question there on the first one so going back to the curiosity so if someone is new to self-empathy as 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 a tool um, or as something that they can do how would they go about perhaps starting to exercise that a little bit around curiosity yeah Look, I think um, there's there's lots of areas. I mean, at, at its core, all empathy is about listening. So in mm. this case, you're talking about listening to oneself. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that I've learned personally, but also through my work during COVID in the last five months, is that time and quietness um, allow us to empathize with ourselves more. Because mm. mm. when you are on the run all the time, and I, I do speak from personal experience, as I'm mm. sure do you, um it's very hard to take any form of perspective it's very hard to take perspective about whether you like the new building that you know just got put up on your street let alone about how you're feeling about things Mm -hmm. so if you're trying to be more curious about yourself you do need to give yourself some space and time to do so Mm -hmm. Um, there'll be various ways you can do that lots of people talk about mindfulness in the same breath as self-empathy because you're mindful of yourself and and whether that's full sort of meditation or yoga or something like that or it's just about carving out time in your day perhaps every morning where you take a moment to you know think about how you're feeling today what you're willing what you're willing to put yourself to today what you want to achieve today Um, but a lot of it comes back to time because in a to to listen to ourselves um you you do need you know you do need that um and the other is around questions and questioning yourself because curiosity is driven by inquiry right so Mm -hmm. um you know when you're feeling i don't know perhaps overwhelmed or stressed or i don't know exhausted or whatever you're feeling or it could be a positive which i'm really happy or elated Mm -hmm. uh, questioning why do i feel like that what made me feel like that Mm -hmm. Uh, how might i avoid or increase that depending on the emotion in the future Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so listening to how you feel and then questioning why and how and when and what it is that provoked that yeah. types of areas that are are quite yeah. useful. And as I said, that's framed in having time to do so because you can't do that in the middle of yeah. all important people. Yeah, yeah. If I may, there's two things that come out from that that spring to mind. I think the first one is is an exercise that I do with clients um, when we're doing the alignment stage of, of, of the program that I put them through. And that's really looking at internally what needs to be shifted and moved, which is more intervention-based work, but also externally looking at their life and how it's set up. Um, and often when you say, Get, let me see your typical schedule for the week, and tell me what's missing. And in, initially it's like, well, nothing, you know, it's all structured. Because typically you're talking about people that are relatively senior. So, so from an organizational point of view, you know, they've got that nailed down. But when it comes to like what's missing, though, well, nothing's missing. Well, where's the time for you? You know, where's yeah. that reflection time? Um, yeah, and I think the second one, 
that, that comes up there that you were talking about is that is is the time for kind of like what you do with that time so scheduling the time that you have in then also how you use that time and i think a lot of it is when when i love that saying isn't it the best time to 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 teach a dog not to bark is when it's barking but at the same time for us the best time to teach ourselves when you talk about stuff like overwhelm and stress is where we, when we're in that particular state and just letting that be okay and giving yourself permission to feel like that but then following in following that up with you know that curiosity mindset to say it's okay i'm overwhelmed but why what's happening what's going on here where it's coming from so i think that's you know again particularly for people that are making that transition where they've been in a structure where they perhaps don't have to ask those questions so much because they have teams and they have progress processes and and all the other things that go with being in a structured environment interesting um so so what what do you think are some of the kind of the, the direct benefits of of being more self-empathic, if that's the right word, as a business owner? Look, there's, it's a great question. There's, there's lots. Um, again, if we start sort of big on a contextual level, um, mm -hmm. there's data and research out there now that shows that people that are stronger in self-empathy suffer less for things like uh, depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so there tends to be uh, a lower level of those sort of emotional health issues and people that do uh, self-empathize more effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, but from a business point of view, there's a couple of interesting things, actually, again, you know, from a research point of view. Um, people that are self-empathic, which is the right term, or empathetic, both work, yeah. um, are higher risk takers. Uh, and the psychology behind that's really interesting because fundamentally, at an evolutionary level, um, we are wired to not create self-harm, right? We are wired to protect yeah. ourselves because when you take away all the external influences and the stress and the 24-7 working and all the stuff you were just talking about, mm. um, from an evolutionary point of view, we don't want that. We want to be well. We want to be healthy. We want to be strong, right? So um, people that are self um, are good at self-empathy um, tend to be higher risk takers because they're not so hard on themselves about what happens if it doesn't work or what happens if it fails. Um, we are less likely to lead ourselves into sorrow or fear uh, mm. because we're better at self-empathy. So we we less often fall into that sort of self-pity, self-deprivation uh, yeah. stuff. Um, so yeah, so business leaders that are good with self-empathy are higher risk takers. Um, mm. They've been shown to do um, higher levels of innovation for similar reasons yeah there's a less there's a less fear of failure uh there's more sort of natural confidence in mm -hmm. in creating those sort of um those sort of skills um and they're they're also better with other people because empathy is um is a is a skill that's it's a skill that we can learn it's a skill that we can practice so empathy or self-empathy all types of empathy sits in the prefrontal cortex part of the brain yeah. um something we're all born with and mm. it's a skill that you can practice so just like i don't know riding a bike the better the more you do it the better you get the more naturally yeah. you it um it will be the same with all types of empathy so when you're more self-empathetic to yourself and that becomes a skill that you're better at mm. you will be better at empathizing with others so business leaders who are honing the skill of empathy um, mm. are likely to have stronger relationships uh, stronger teams more camaraderie mm. Cohesion, ability to motivate, ability to influence. Mm -hmm. um, fundamentally, if you're trying to sell something or influence someone in something, understanding them is key to that. So, so yeah, higher risk yeah. taking, uh, higher levels of innovation, deeper or perhaps more effective relationships, mm -hmm. uh, which are all 
critical pieces, right? Especially if you're in a small or medium business. And yeah. you, all those things, you've got to be brave and innovative. No, absolutely. absolutely. So that kind of brings it back into your core work, because I think a, there's a large skew of your thinking and the stuff that certainly I've followed, which is empathy within the workplace, particularly at leadership um, level. Do you think, so just focusing on that for a minute, do you think it, it is a top-down mandate or do you think it's something that needs to happen all across all levels of an organisation? Look, I think culture is built from the top, right? Yeah. So in 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 any sort of organization there where you've got you've got culture because you've got enough people in there it's not you know maybe a, a sort of a, a one or two man or two person business mm. uh, i think culture and leadership starts at the top and, and people look up for the, the guidance mm. so a lot of what i talk about is yes is around leadership and how we as leaders should be showing that because I, certainly in my experience empathy is contagious mm. the more i empathize and and uh, understand my teams the more they give it to me back they empathize mm. with and there's all kinds of benefits from that, not least of which is just happier, more cohesive teams, some of which you can see wandering in the background behind me. Um, but having said that, one of the things that has been most motivating to me in recent months is my work with graduates and really young sort of Gen Zs um, because they totally want a new world. They yeah. just get what we've been up to for years. They don't understand why we would put up with sort of workplace bullying and, and all of these things. Mm. Uh, so they're for sure, they're many years away from being leaders from an institutional level, but they are leading change in their circles socially, as in online and in the real world. Mm. Uh, and I'm really passionate about driving that conversation with them because they are going to change tomorrow. They're going to be the ones that rebuild and, and change the direction of these organizations. So I think it's both top down and middle or bottom up. It's it's a social yeah. issue, something that we can all take responsibility for. Sure, sure. And and bringing it bringing it back now to um, people who are transitioning into or in the early stages of being a business owner. What what do you think? Why do you? Th I mean, for me, my work really around resilience is building unpack resilient through my particular coaching lens. It's around building very high levels of commitment. So very high levels of um, focus, determination, emotional engagement, what you're doing, then control. So having, you know, particularly in terms of control around productivity, stability, how you're interpreting events that are happening outside of you and the actions you're taking in response to that. And then finally, a, a, a an appetite for competency, which doesn't, doesn't suggest that you're incompetent. It's all about having the humility to um, be, it comes back to curiosity. You don't know what you don't know unless you have a curiosity for knowing that and having having an appetite for building those skills. Um, so for, for me, empathy really falls into the, the control section is, is having the curiosity to understand when you're triggered, why you're triggered and how to avoid that going forward. So going back to some of those things, I'm particularly interested around the risk-taking innovation, which as you said, are two things that are absolutely vital if you're going to you know, sort of get that momentum and success you want as a business owner. Do you think that's largely down to having a more, having a healthier relationship with the risk and tolerance with risk and failure? Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, a more of a tolerance with failure and having more of an appetite for having that kind of growth challenger mindset rather than something that's fixed and, and staying within the comfort zone? Yeah, look, I think um, it's something I would love to to study more deeply from a psychological point mm. of view. What, why? And I think there's loads of work to be done. It's not that I haven't studied it. It's that it's not really out there yet. It's 
that's quite new. Right. Um, my perspective on that comes back to that sort of quick point I made earlier around evolution and us as human beings and that fundamentally we want to avoid sorrow. You know, we naturally want to avoid feeling sad, mm. feeling feeling pain. Um, one of the great things about empathy is when they've studied it in MRI machines, when they've studied the brain, yeah. when we empathize the same when, you know, the empathy light bulbs go off in the brain, the joy sensors of the brain are also uh, lit up, as it were. So what we know about empathy, whether it's to others or to ourselves, is that it does provoke joy. The right. reason saying that is if you put those pieces together so naturally we want to avoid feeling bad mm. and actually when we empathize we feel good mm. what that results in and this is data that is out there is higher motivation levels right. so i'm not sure about the psychology of sort of um confidence or or resilience towards failure mm. but what i do know from the research is that we naturally have a commitment to um to, to wanting more, to doing more, to be braver, mm. uh, to be more motivated, to perhaps face things more head on when we're using self-empathy. Because if the alternative, for example, to self-empathy is, you know, sort of um, attacking yourself or being overly negative or criticism, mm. those types of things, um, those are the things that are, create barriers, right? Oh, mm. I shouldn't do that going to be no good at that i won't be able to succeed in that i might ruin it i might fail all of those emotions are the opposite and that generally yeah. is what stops people from having a relationship with with failure or fear or, or putting themselves out there so yeah as i said i think there's more research to be done but yeah. certainly from a human point of view as i said we know self-empathy leads to high levels of, of motivation and just sort of energy to go out and try things so that would really support us in that journey towards facing and and having resilience around things like failure or new ventures. Gosh, that in, that in itself is a phenomenal insight, isn't it? And and a, a reason to to start building self self empathy into your into your daily routine. So what, what's interesting about this? There seems to be a bit of a, a paradox between something you said about it's 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 human nature to avoid sorrow. I mean, obviously, when we start going into the rules of the mind and, the, you know, I'm, you know, the amygdala and looking for failure, I think there's, there's a link there, which is obviously another conversation. But um, so there's a paradox between it's in human nature to avoid sorrow. And, but at but the same time, it, it's, you know, being learning to be highly critical of ourselves and learning that failures and mistakes are bad is something that we learn from a very young age. So there seems to be a bit of a, a tension there that's quite interesting. Has anything ever come up in terms of your research around that? Well, what I do know is, so what I have been looking at quite a lot the last year is the education system, mm. uh, two dimensions. Mm. One underpins the other. One is if you look at the education system, generally massive stereotype, because of course there are many outliers all around the world, but mm. the sort of mass education system on the planet today, it was fueled or created by or created for um, the Industrial Revolution. Right. So the education system was put into place to create people that could work in factories as really efficient workers, right? right. We were in there um, to be able to stick to deadlines, to work as a team, to work on a product line, to be efficient, um, to commit to repetition. Mm. All of those things, right? That's what we needed. We needed people yeah, to yeah. the world, right? Um, there was never such a thing in that education system for these types of skills we're talking about, which is sort of empathy, cohesion, communication, innovation, yeah. teamwork. You know, we didn't need those. And the 
general again rule is that that education system hasn't been updated in most cases so are we teaching our children about mm. empathy? no in the most cases you know are we teaching them other ways to view failure or, or sort of out the box thinking that isn't follow mm. the path and we'll get to the destination no so that's the first point and then the second point is that even in the institutions where we are doing a good job of that we mm. tend to stop when children become sort of teenagers or young adults and then mm. you know they let, leave the education system they're out in the real wide world mm. there are people having these discussions that you and i are having today yeah, um, yeah. And we don't educate our adults. So they go off into the world, they go into these organizations, they perhaps go into organizations where there isn't a very empathetic or humane yeah. culture uh, that's sort of heroing people. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So yes, so that's what I do know. I do know that we need more and different forms of education if we're gonna change that. Yeah. And I guess that puts a little bit of emphasis on the parental role as well of, of, of parents taking an active role in teaching their children self-empathy and teaching them all of the things we're talking about today, like softening um, what it means, what mistakes and failures really are, and encourage them to have that kind of perspective on life and not being too hard on themselves, which is which is obviously very difficult to do um, if they're then going into school and being taught the exact opposite, right? Fantastic. Yeah. So so why, why do you think, I think you answered a little bit of this before, but it's is there any other reasons that you believe as as a species, I guess, we're not more naturally self-empathic other than education and the fact that we don't nurture that as, as a skill or a tool or a way of thinking and seeing as, as we become adults. I, I think we are, Christian. I, I think we are self-empathic. I think I have a little girl, she's three. Mm. Um, when I look at her and all of her friends and, and how they interact with each other and themselves, they are self-empathetic and they are empathetic to each other. I think right. as, a, as a race, as a society, that's mm. a word, we, we lose it. I, I don't think we have, I don't think on the whole, okay. unless there are um, contextual, so environmental or um, psychological impacts on individuals. Because, you know, we, we mm. do know that some people are born with um, challenges or different ways that they learn and work that may impact that. I believe from everything I've read and learned that we are self-empathetic. We are, um, we understand as human beings that understanding ourselves and then understanding our tribe, our people, mm. is a benefit to both ourselves and our people. We know that. We do know that. It's just that we lose it. And society has created a very individualistic, very technologically driven, ironically, given we're connecting on a screen, world. Mm. Yeah. Um, we see single households, you know, in, in cities like New York, it's at 38, 39% now. So we live alone. Yeah. We connect screens, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can draw you into mm. an instant world. Um, we leave our villages and our tribes behind. So mm. we leave some of that legacy. So, yeah, I think that there's environmental, social reasons. Uh, but I still believe that at day one, when we're born, we have it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's fascinating listening to what you're saying because you're, I mean, I've never thought of it from that perspective because I suppose you're right. I mean, I look at my, my daughter's eight, year, eight years old and look at her and her friends and there is a natural sense of empathy between them. Um, so other, other than um, obviously the work that you're doing and helping evolve leadership um, to be more empathy driven, is there any, do you have any other points of view or any of the ideas about how, 
we can start bridge because you talk about the empathy gap is that right yeah yeah i do is there any way that we can help bridge and build that divide other than just what's happening in the workplace yeah look i think leadership takes many forms right whether mm -hmm. that um it's corporate it's political it's social it's community yeah. even in the home so you mentioned earlier parenting and and i don't think um i don't think it's fair to give parents that responsibility alone because i think mm -hmm. parents parents have enough sort of heavy responsibility on them as it is to bring up children today um but yeah there's all kinds of ways that we can be driving empathy and there are people out there trying to help um in terms of imbuing skills like listening um connectivity skills social skills mm -hmm. that we using in our communities in our streets in our microcosms mm -hmm. um for me i you know i do this work alongside my full-time job and my motivation every day is that if I impact one person today, and maybe my person today is you, um, to think about empathy differently, I can mm. sort of bed that night and get up and do it all again tomorrow. Yeah. Because we can all make a change. It can't only be organizational. My focus on organizational is because I, I have an organization, I've put these yeah. things to my practice here, but yeah. also we spend five sevenths of our time, most of us, in a job. So arguably the quickest way to make mass mass impact is to try and do it through organizations because mm -hmm. everyone has a few people at least around them in an organization that they can impact so it is something that i hope we can create more scale at from an organizational point of view mm -hmm. but if anyone that has any microcosm around them can help to drive understanding and connectivity by by practicing some of this and going back to what they can practice I and mean, one one of the things that i think is really critical particularly um when I transitioned out, because I had a, a similar career path to you in being in the creative industries, is this thing about listening. And I think the, the core, you know, it's it's when you delve into actually what it is to really listen and and, and how you can improve your listening, it, it was extraordinary because you must think of it, you know, it's it's quite a simple tool. You just sit and listen, but it's actually so much more than that. It's only it's for me, I think that's probably the most important one um, out of everything that as a starting point. Can you offer anyone not suggesting that you know you can sort of give away expert advice but can you offer any kind of tips for people that might want to start thinking about how they can improve their listening their ability to really hear people yeah for sure and you just said it right that last few words your ability to really hear people that is that is the key to all empathy it's like the backbone right of of, of our work those of us that work in the space that's what we're trying to, to drive because being able to hear people, you know, all of us can listen, as in mm. anyone that has hearing problems can, mm. can listen to sounds around them. Mm. Um, but to hear what people are really saying, uh, to understand empathy, to understand what they're saying, where they're coming from is, is a different skill. So some of the ways I talk about, I mean, there's one tip I give, which I learned uh, about a year ago, which is, is great, which is if you're one of those people that struggle to focus on perhaps listening in meetings or big rooms that type of thing mm. um push your tongue against the tip of your teeth like the back of your front teeth mm. um, it often clears your mind and there's an amazing sort of science behind that which is that when your brain is full of thoughts so you're supposed to be listening but you're actually thinking what am i going to feed the dog got to go to the vet don't forget the supermarket pick up my daughter yeah. all that stuff, right your tongue is moving my tiny 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 moving but it's moving because you're talking you're talking to yourself so push your tongue to the back of your teeth by it's stopping your brain, you, you stop talking i mean it's not going to last forever but it will 
or focus you in. So that's a really fun, like small little tip. But um, but yeah, eye contact, really, really important, both for the people you're listening to and for yourself, because it makes you focus. Um, but eye contact, again, when you look at evolution, we are tuned to know that when people look us in the eye, they understand us. They look at us, they, they see us, they hear us, right? Yeah. Fundamental definitions of humanity to be seen and to be heard. Um, and that makes listening easier because people will give you more information uh, because you're more engaged. Mm. Um, things like body language, I'm sure you've heard, you know, 83% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. So when you're listening, it doesn't just mean you're hearing them, your body is facing towards them, your shoulders are in, your arms are uncrossed. Because again, subconsciously as humans, when you cross your arms, I mean, I mean, if you cross your arms now, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care less consciously. I wouldn't think, oh, Christian wasn't listening to me. But subconsciously, even on a screen, uh, when you cross arms, you create distance. So there is less listening okay. going on. Um, so yeah, I think those are, yeah, arms gently. <laughs> yeah, those are some of the things that that um, that mm. are good, you know, good sort of things to think about when when doing what we call active active listening. And is this something that you you teach actively in in your where you work now, and and or is it more just that you write and you talk about when you when you're writing and on on things like this podcasts and stuff, being interviewed? Look, I teach my team um, all the time because I built this into my culture. So yeah. I had um, the privilege of having a an agency to run, so mm. I could for for putting this all to the test which is what I've done for the last two and a half years which was when I took on a business that was broken I had that privilege of saying all right we're going to fix it this way mm. we're going to fix it with humanity at the heart with people mm. at the heart with empathy at the heart I believe it's going to work but hey let's give it a go and luckily it did um but yeah mm. I do teach it I do teach it to them especially body language and and I yeah. have a very cross-cultural team so yeah. I have about 20 people probably from I don't know, maybe 15, 14, mm. 15. So things like body language are also cultural. Um, yeah, we teach it in our team for sure. And in danger of putting you on the spot slightly um, to say yeah. that you, you know, that you teach things in your culture and you've transformed where you work now. How, in what ways, just so people listening to can really get some, some, some hard proof around this working, how has the business improved and changed since you've been in, incorporated all of this? If I was being really mean, I would say you can read my book and find out. But seeing as I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really mean. Um, no, I'm teasing you. I mean, in, in I guess um, immeasurable ways, it's been so. It's been such a change. Um, the business I took on was was a failing business. So we weren't at zero. We were at we were at minus zero, right? We we really needed to build from the bottom up, both um, financially from a client's point of view uh, and from a team. You know, we had fantastic, wonderful human beings here, but perhaps not the right people that we needed to go on this journey of turnaround. Mm -hmm. um, we had no clients. We had no retained clients. We had no supplier relationships. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a very difficult time um, for the business at that time. Where we are now, two and a half years on, obviously we're coming out of COVID, so it's been a slightly rockier 2020 than we, we yeah. saw. Um, but yeah, we're a really strong business. We're about 20 people here. We have clients like MetLife Insurance, BMW, uh, Unilever, well, uh, some of the Unilever X brands, yeah. um, Intel, Microsoft, Emirates. Um, so yeah, you know, now we have a really good roster of MNC global businesses here in the Middle East. We have 20 people. We're making money. Uh, exactly. We're growing. 
and and we're, we're winning you know in a market where we had no reputation and no clients um we now have a 95 percent pitch conversion rate of new business so we we've got something right right, right. and and how's the team i get i mean do, do you measure um sort of the human response to that as well in terms of you know happiness and motivation inspiration all those types of things yeah, for sure yeah. i think one of the things i'm working on now is how do you how could we maybe create i hate this word but i'm going to use it anyway a framework uh for measuring those things yeah because what i do know is what you measure manifests so yeah. you have to measure things and when we set out on this journey one of the things i set out to do and when i was interviewing and meeting with clients and meeting team members mm. i kept thing was I want to create the happiest agency in Dubai I want us to be the happiest team how how can I help you be the happiest version of you yeah. um and yes we we as I said I haven't worked out the, the framework yet of of how you really systemize that measurement um but for sure we have very low uh, turnover so that's one way you can measure yeah, these things sure. yeah um, very high loyalty. We have, um, we do have global scoring that gets done mm. on a global for our organisation, and and ours are very high. Mm. Um, motivation is high. I know that how we've come through COVID as a cohesive unit mm. um, has been strong, yeah. and obviously I have comparisons in the market to know how other organisations or teams might be doing. So yeah. I think I think we're we're happy. And I think one of the things that's really important in that is, and you sort of said, do you train it, is consistency of of leading with that, but also um, measuring them on it, you know, making sure that people know this isn't acceptable in this business and this is. And we talk about um, speaking the kind truth with our yeah. clients all the time. And they know it, you know, the whole team knows that's, that's mm. who we are. So, yeah. yes, to the extent that you can measure those things, I think we've got some some good signposts that that humanity is is the hero in this story. Excellent, I love that, it's a great quote. I'm gonna quote you on that if you don't mind. Um, so just bringing it back to um, the, the, the focus of my um, attention and my work, if you don't mind for a second. So, so I, I typically work with people that are in one of three stages. They're either, they've got the calling, which means they're still working for a company, but the, the calling to do their own thing is too strong and they've made the decision, they've crossed the chasm if they want if you want um, the threshold the second one is boarding so they, they've either had in their notice or they're serving their notice and they're, they're committed and then the third group is they're airborne they're, they're actively in business and they're exposed and they're out there um i think for me the, the, the role of self-empathy is so is essential across all three of those areas but particularly i think in the first two where once you've made that decision, it agitates a lot of our stuff. That self-esteem stuff comes up. We're vulnerable. We're going to be exposed. And it, it's a breeding ground for all those things that we have going on inside us. So talking to those people specifically, um, how can they build? And I know we've sort of crossed this, but perhaps perhaps not in a sort of listicle form, but a few tips that they can start to build self-empathy into their journey now somebody that's starting to hear that critical voice or is being held back a little bit or self-doubts thrown up what can they do right now you know three or four things to help soft well, your book soften the edges and it soften those a little bit and um and start to cultivate their, their own personal culture of curiosity and sort of self-support and self-awareness because really which is what what this is all about and self-growth 
Yeah, look, I think uh, you mentioned again the curiosity. I think that's probably at mm. the core of it. I think um, one of the great things about empathy, it, again, from a brain point of view, and because of the neuroplasticity of our brain, which means that the brain can mold and flex to whatever we give it, basically, is that the decision, if you're listening to us, the decision yeah. to hero self-empathy, to be more self-empathetic, is enough to be more self-empathetic, right? right? So if you would come out of this talk today and say, I, I want to do that, I want to really think about how I can be more self-empathetic to myself, that as a signal to your brain, because it's something we evolved with, mm -hmm. will activate it. And and that decision is decision one, right? And, and the great thing about that decision is as soon as you've made it, it's action. Your brain will activate your empathy. Mm -hmm. um, so you step the intention, set a clear intention that I am going to be more self-empathetic, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's the first one. The second one then comes back to the curiosity. So once you've made that decision, to continue to be curious about the decisions you're making, why you're making them, how you feel about them, um, and to really you know keep that curiosity about yourself as a priority because it can be easier to empathise with others actually than it can be to empathise with ourselves. And, and curiosity, yeah. inquiry, that questioning um, is important. And the third one, I really think it's, you know, the world's greatest resource is time. I yeah. mentioned earlier, you have to make the time, you know. Um, I try, I don't always succeed, but I try to every week find some time when I'm not talking to other people or running my business or being a mum or doing any of those things mm. to actually empathise with myself, to look at what am I doing this week, why am I doing it, what do I want, mm. how do I about that if I'm feeling drained or tired why and how can I fix it um, but as I said it's not always easy to fit it in so I think mm -hmm. that if you've got the luxury of being at the beginning of your journey uh, scheduling as you said earlier that in yeah. priority is really really important yeah I mean sch sch scheduling and, and putting it in your in your diary or your calendar I mean it sounds a bit you know but I think it's it really has to start there isn't it and it comes back to your point is setting that intention without that you know these things quickly you, you don't have the consistency because it's all about building momentum isn't it and, and sending those compliance messages back to the brain that i'm doing this and i'm going to be doing this for a sustained period of time and ultimately what we're all trying to get to is build you know building it into a habit where it just becomes second nature um and it doesn't isn't something that you're trying to build it's something that you just naturally do and it becomes part of who you are and your personality and you know, that's really the the goal for this um Maybe listen. I'm so grateful for your time this afternoon. Just to finish off, um, do you want to tell us a bit more about you and your plans? And obviously, your 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 first book's coming out, which is tremendously exciting. How people can connect with you, how they can buy the book, anything else you just want to to share, just as a wrap up. Yeah. Well, I I would love to. The one last thing I'd say on on our conversation is that I think, like you just said, you know, scheduling is the beginning, and all of those things. I think having a, a coach, somebody like you, Christian, to help people do that is really, really important. So mm -hmm. it's difficult. And, and you also have to work out how to do that. You know, for some people, yeah. it might be writing, you know, journaling of some sort. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's exercise. Uh, for others, um, for me, because I'm a, I'm a talker, I like to say it out loud, you know, even to myself. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to close on that because I think it might help people to maybe have a conversation with you or someone mm -hmm. else in their network to work those things out. I think it's it's difficult to do these things on your own. So um, yeah. yeah, I want to say that. But yeah, with me, as I said at the beginning, my book comes out on the 15th of September. Um, it will be available on all the normal channels, you know, Amazon and all the bookstores and all those things, depending on where you're listening. Um, 
you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. I take that platform really seriously. I love it. Uh, but also on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And my show, uh, season two of the show, is on starts on Tuesday the 14th. And um, I think it's Tuesday the 14th. I'll have to check. But it's yeah. definitely Tuesday in a week and a half's time. Yeah. And it's live every week at 10 a.m. Gulf Standard Time. Um, mm -hmm my facebook and my youtube but I, I pop all the stuff on my on my channel so okay. anyone interesting can can tune in and and the last bit is my podcast which is called secrets of the gap you mentioned earlier the empathy gap and, and secrets yeah. of the gap is similar conversation to this with really yeah. interesting people about empathy in the world connectivity humanity but it's all under 20 minutes so all of my content is really short because i try to be very empathetic to the world and just make really sort of bite-sized pieces of this puzzle so so yes, I'm so pleased. Honestly, thank you for inviting me on and having such a, a fascinating conversation and, mm -hmm. and being interested because, as I said, that's really what this is about, just having interesting conversation. No, and thank you again. I think like to your point about leaving one person um, to think about self-empathy or empathy differently, then well, you've certainly achieved that. I mean, I've you know, one of my things about these the Agents of Calm conversations is slightly, you know, it's for me to learn and to leave these things, you know, slightly wiser with them when I started and I think I certainly am on this one so thank you very much indeed um yeah and look best of luck with everything I'm sure the book's going to be a fantastic success and I'll sure to to check in again on Tuesday mornings yeah thank you so much Christian lovely to see you you too bye now bye bye, bye. <laughs>